consistency is such a big thing um, in a perennial crop because, you know, what you do now in, you know, January, February, it could really impact what's happening in the fall this year or the fruit from for next year. This is the Yara Crop Nutrition Podcast. Yara is the global leader in crop nutrition knowledge and the leading producer of quality fertilizer products. The podcast is intended to facilitate the transfer of knowledge for farmers and crop advisors, improving farm profitability and environmental sustainability. With Yara, knowledge grows. Thanks for joining another edition of the Yara Crop Nutrition Podcast. My name is Scott War, and we are going to talk about citrus today. Um, you know, citrus is lovely. It tastes good. It looks good. It smells good. And we're going to talk a little bit about how important citrus is to North America and get into some of the agronomics of, of citrus. And we have some experts with us today. We have uh, one of our um, sales agronomists, Kelsey Gunthorpe. And Richard Newman, who's our regional sales manager down in the southeast, and they're both going to join me because I don't know anything about citrus other than it's tasty and uh, that I need to buy the certain kinds of citrus. Um, so, Kelsey and uh, Richard, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yes, Scott. Thanks. Hey, Kelsey, start us off here. Let's talk about how important is citrus to North America? How big of a crop is it and, and why should we care? So, you know, that's a really good question. Out of the gate, citrus is a, is a huge specialty crop for the United States in total. Um, we have about four states that produce, you know, the majority share of it, and that is California, Arizona, Texas, and Florida. And each one of these states, you know, in their specific acres produces a specific product. So, California, for example, is, you know, heavily involved in the fresh citrus market. And fresh is, you know, any of the products that you would see in your grocery store that you can pick up and eat, such as navels, um, some of the more easy peel varieties. I remember you and I talked once, Scott, about the uh, the sumo citrus. Oh, that yeah. That variety that's come out. Yep, yep. So California has a really big market of that. I think it's about 80% of their total acreage is involved in fresh production. Um and I believe California's acreage at this point is about 267,000 acres. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the opposite end of that is Florida, where a lot of our oranges, about 90% of our oranges are involved in the processing side. So um, that's orange juice for most of the orange juice brands and um, used internationally and domestic. So it's a multi-billion dollar industry with both processed and fresh products, but um, it really does have kind of that, that special, special feel to it that, that is appreciated internationally as well as domestic consumption. So it's a pretty big crop as far as acreage and spread across these four states. Um, Richard, how, how much is it worth? When it comes to an economic impact, uh, you know, Florida agriculture in general, which being led by citrus, you know, it can be just as much as Disney World at times. You know, so when when uh, the citrus market is performing well, uh, the state of Florida economy is uh, performing well. And and when that happens, uh, you know, we're the 17th largest economy in the world. So with citrus being uh, one of our four uh, most important things crop wise, 
um, you know, I can't say enough about how, how important it is economically. Kelsey, why, why do certain geographies specialize in certain varieties? Like why, why is California the fresh market geography and why is Florida the, the processing geography? So that has a lot to do with some of the, um, soil preferences and the, the types of trees that are, you know, not only well suited to grow in these growing regions, but also the sustainability you can get out of these crops. So Florida, for example, has a lot more of the varieties such as, uh, Valencia oranges that fit a window of late spring, early summer that are really good juice oranges, but still contain, you know, seeds. They're not as pretty. They're not as easy to peel, but you know, a good crop of Valencia oranges still looks good. When I say not as pretty, I mean some of the bright oranges that you see in the supermarket are not coming off Valencia trees per se. And then in California, the soil type and the the um, other climate aspects really do help, you know, facilitate a good tasting um, high bricks content fruit that is going to be desirable in supermarkets. I see that may, that makes complete sense. You know, I'm remembering back, maybe Richard, you're old enough to remember. There was a big campaign many years ago when I was growing up about Florida grown citrus, and I think at that time it was fresh market citrus, wasn't it? Is is that something that's evolved over time? Um, I don't think so, Scott. I mean, in terms of of like a fresh thing, uh. You know, a hundred percent juice from Florida is is what we take pride in. Okay, um, and that's that's what a lot of uh, our processors still do. Um, there could be some blends that find their way in because the the global market has changed. Uh, you know, Brazil has come on strong uh, with their citrus production since probably the the advertisement and the campaigns uh, that you're speaking of. But uh, a Florida first and and citrus from that standpoint is still a, a very proud thing that, you know, we're trying to exercise down here. Okay. Well, since this is an agronomic podcast, let's get into the agronomics. Um, Kelsey, uh, tell us a little bit about citrus. I mean, when are they typically planted and how long do these trees last? Um, and what's the lifespan and that sort of stuff? So that's actually a, a really, really complex topic. And I'll tell you, since my time, you know, learning more and participating in the citrus industry in Florida, there's really so many different ways that these citrus growers are, are planting are trying to, you know, fit specific market windows of selling their fruit, whether it be early or late varieties. Um, you know, in general, throughout the year, citrus growers will be looking to do what they call reset trees, which are younger trees that are purchased from nurseries. And, you know, we can dive actually, Scott, if you want, we can talk a little bit about citrus greening and some of the diseases that are, you know, really starting to uplift trees in these orange grove blocks. And when there's a tree missing, you know, growers are really looking to fill it with a younger tree that they can get, you know, um, just spurred forward. It'll start producing fruit within the two to four year mark and, and be a participant in that block. You know, that, that sounds like a great, um, way to go, Kelsey, because the answer to the question, um, and it, it, there is no right, one answer, right? And and one of the variables that makes it a, a dynamic answer is this greening. Tell us about greening and where it came from, how long we've been dealing with it, and the extent of it. Citrus greening 
It is actually referred to scientifically as HLB or Huanglong Bing. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a bacteria that is basically vectored by the Asian citrus psyllid. Um, it is a bacteria that basically has devastated the Florida citrus market um, since the early 2000s. I believe the first instances occurred in about 2004. Um, we had close to a million acres. I believe it was a little over 800,000 acres of producing citrus. And now in 2021, about 17 years later, because of this disease and complications associated with this disease, we've gone from close to a million acres of producing citrus to uh, right at 400,000. So it's a devastating disease that has basically um, really got everybody scratching their heads in this industry on, on how to approach it and whether that's with balanced nutrition or, you know, more aggressive reset programs. Um, there hasn't been a cure developed yet that can, you know, really, you know, start alleviating the stress that this disease causes. Um, a big part of the greening is it affects the entirety of the tree. Once it's, you know, um, vectored onto the plant, it starts corking up the trunk. It disables the amount of water and nutrient flow between roots and leaves It'll start, you know, really impacting the fruit quality, the shape, the amount of fruit that will stay on the tree as the, you know, fruit is being produced and maturing. It's, it's a devastating variable that Florida citrus has to deal with. And, you know, it's, it's been an ongoing aggressive battle since the early 2000s. What, what percentage of the Florida crop is infected? In my kind of, you know, observations, growers will reset a tree plant it in the ground and expect to have it diseased, you know, as soon as possible. It's not, it, I'd say close to high nineties percent. If you wow. see a tree in Florida, it probably has the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing is it's almost like, uh, a patient. I, I've heard this analogy, um, a couple times now. It's almost like a patient living with, you know, a, terminal illness that's that's a long-term terminal illness you have to just live with the symptoms knowing that the end is coming but trying to get as much fruit produced out of the tree as possible while having the disease so some of these trees are able to live um close to 30 years it's not uncommon to see big big old oak tree or uh, oak size orange trees um and then some varieties are way more sensitive such as grapefruit grapefruit's very sensitive to greening and they have a very hard time getting the longevity of the, of the tree to get the fruit on. So the grapefruit industry has taken a huge hit as well. But they can continue to grow fruit and uh, it has no uh, ill effects with the, the product that comes off the tree. Is that correct? No. So as the tree has the disease, it will continue to grow and produce fruit. Um, it, the impact could, you know, be extreme or it could be slight. Um, a lot of times you'll see, especially orange producing citrus varieties, um, stunted trees, trees that will be misshapen, uh, limb imbalance, just not uniform growth at all. And the fruit that's produced could be, you know, very ugly where it, it won't even meet quality standards or the, the juice content not be up to standard. So it's just, you just have to scratch that tree and, pick it up and try again. 
So the quality of the fruit can be affected. The longevity, um, lifespan of the tree can be affected. Basically, Scott, it is a huge variable. It's all a game. It's a gamble. Um, there's no really other way to put it. You can see trees that are out here producing fruit and say, okay, that's a good looking tree. And that's some, it's producing some relatively good boxes per acre, but every single one of those trees will be infected with this disease. And you really just have to keep, keep working with it, higher inputs, um, basically more TLC <laughs> to, to get the worth out of, you know, the operational costs and the the cost of inputs. Yeah. I mean, Scott, I, I think greening has completely changed the game, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you look at the box count per acre uh, in the 80s and 90s uh, compared to now, it's it's drastically less. And, you know, that's a, obviously a number indication of probably having some some pretty in, uh, large amount of infected trees per acre. And of course, like Kelsey mentioned, visually, you know, you see it coming. And then all of a sudden your fruit retention drastically drops. And so then your box count goes down or the pound solids get affected and the quality of the juice isn't there. So, um, you know, these guys are, are dealing with a, a heck of an animal that is hard to wrangle. And when you start talking about agronomics and, and what to do, bottom line, uh, even chemically uh, stating there's, there's no silver bullet. And what we have to do is, is try to balance the nutrition. Uh, as much as possible with, you know, the uh, most impactful nutrients that do not cause, uh, you know, any sort of um, plant physiological damage or, you know, could go at a at a drastic loss. You know, if it has to convert nutrients a certain way, we want to be able to provide, you know, the highest quality, the most plant available nutrients that we can. Got it. And and I, I have a great follow up question for that. But before I do, um it, it, you said it affects about 90% of the, the citrus in Florida. Has this HLB or greening um, transferred to the other geographies within North America? It's on its way, Scott. I, if they don't have it now, they will soon. And, um, I, I would say we've heard some, some slight rumblings out of California uh, with some HLB infections, which the way that it uh, started here and, and it being very hard to control because it is, uh, as Kelsey says, vectored from the psyllid. Uh, it, it's just so extremely hard to control. And, um, you know, from that point, the infection rate is going to skyrocket. Yeah. I, I, you know, just to give our, our listeners a little bit of uh, background, um, Richard and Kelsey are, are reside in Florida. I'm in California. I work with some citrus growers here in California. And for the last six years, uh, every citrus conference I've gone to, they've had, um, uh, guest speakers from Florida come in and talk about HLB. And I think that they've had some, uh, some infections down in the South part of the state. So it, 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 it is coming. So here's the big follow-up question for you, Kelsey. And this is where you're going to put on your, your doctor's hat. Um, you say that with this disease, there is no cure yet. Uh, sounds like they've been trying to work on a cure for a long time, but there has not been that we need to give these trees more TLC. What does that mean? What, what do we have to do to reduce the effects of HLB? The biggest thing I mean when I, when I say TLC is that the, the trees, I guess the best way to put it is the trees are, if you can imagine, uh, like a sick person. You don't want to add anything 
to the tree's, you know, physiological occurrences or into any of the soil or fully applied nutritions or, or chemicals that is going to stress that sick tree. So mm-hmm. that's, that's basically how, um, the conversations are going here in Florida is, you know, minimalizing the amount of inputs that, you know, historically have been effective. This is, this is no longer a reference. You can, you know, use a reference book from the eighties or nineties on how you grew citrus. This is mm-hmm. a totally different day and age. Um, and minimizing stress of a sick tree is, is basically the the best approach that we're finding. And that's with, you know, really, really accurate nutrition, mm-hmm. um, balanced nutrition and, following the four R's is really what we're finding is becoming more of the standard, um, best management practice philosophies for citrus in Florida. And to kind of touch on California that like, kind of like Richard said, it's, it's coming. Some of the um, symptoms are not immediate for citrus screening. It's not, you know, citrus trees do not react like a speedboat. Everything's like a battleship with citrus. It, It takes time to show some of the the symptoms and like it happened in Florida, it was too late to even try to get ahead of. And we're still, you know, dealing with the repercussions of that with no solution in sight. So using uh, management practices that, that alleviate the stress. And like I said, create a sustainable uh, crop program for the year to get that, the yield to keep producing is the goal. Living with it is the goal. I'm glad you brought up the four R's of nutrient management because that's where it all comes down to. Before this happened, you could kind of fudge a little bit and still have a good crop, but now you got to be really, really scientific and precise with those four R's, the right source of the nutrients, the right rate, the right timing, the right placement of those nutrients. Um, Let's talk about that for a few minutes. What have you learned, Kelsey, um, about the right source with uh, trying to reduce the the uh, the symptoms or the stress of these trees. So yeah, uh, right source is huge. All of the four R's are, are essential in kind of creating these programs and tailoring them to you know specific crop locations. But source is a huge, huge um, variable for minimizing stress. Um, you know. We have a saying, and Richard and I say it all the time, is that not all nitrogen is nitrogen. For example, certain nitrogen sources, you know, have different effects or have different nutrient components that could, you know, benefit the trees or hinder them in certain aspects. Um, you know, when we talk about Florida citrus, for example, we talk a lot about calcium nitrate because, like I said, you know, previously, we're trying not to stress the trees with any kind of inputs, anything we're adding to it is not supposed to stress the sick, you know, plant. Mm-hmm. So a nitrate source of nitrogen is readily available, uh, plant preferred. It's ready to be taken up by the roots with no hindrance of, of a breakdown timetable. It's available to get into the plant and start working its magic. And with calcium nitrate comes the added benefit of available calcium, which is a huge proponent of, you know, cell wall strength and, and creating a tree that has the strength to live with some of these stress symptoms. You know, adding to what Kelsey's saying, uh, you know, we're basically watching our root systems just basically shrivel up at times. 
And if we're using an overall program that is higher in salts or, you know, you know, things that are derived from that are, that are have chlorine in them, uh, things of those nature that really are not the preferred source on a, on a, on a citrus crop, you know, that's where we're coming from, from a yard standpoint when we built complete citrus and, we're not saying this is a, a silver bullet program. We're not saying that somebody would have to use that program uh, down to the T. We're saying that overall, if you look at the the sourcing, you know, in for instance, 9114 or 507 that's in these programs, you know, we want uh, the grower to be able to look and compare and, and realize, okay, you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot of my potash from MOP. Maybe I should look at SOP. And, and Yara not even being a company over here in the East Coast, at least, that, that markets those two products. But those are things that we view as important. And, and it's more of agronomy first, you know, with with the grower in mind and, and crop quality and quantity is what we're chasing at all times. So I just wanted to touch base on on the sourcing and, and what that meant for the tree that's already under full-fledged attack. And, you know, joking around, Kelsey and I. We have conversations like, you know, you're, you're not going to feed a sick kid McDonald's every day. You know, you're going <laughs> to chicken noodle soup and Gatorade, you know. So we have these trees under attack and it's like, you know, let's make sure that, you know, we're we're dialing the the things in. And and, and one thing that growers are doing is trying to do that. And all we can do is, is try to support that as much as we can. And, you know, whether it's taking a look at, you know, your pounds of zinc per acre, does that need to go up? Does that need to go down? Pounds of calcium, of course, is what, you know, Yara spends a lot of time researching and looking at. But everything as a whole ends up needing to be balanced. And and I don't think, you know, from block to block, they can be different. I don't think everybody has the exact answer, but we're here to help try and get that answer. You know, you bring up a, a really good point, um, Richard. I'm going to, I'm going to take off my, my um, Yara hat for a minute. I'm going to put on my grower hat. Um, okay. I, I'm a citrus grower in, in Florida um, that has been devastated by, by HLB I used to have just huge yields back in the nineties. I was, I was, you know, making, paying my bills and maybe, uh, upgrading my truck every once in a while and doing pretty well. All of a sudden HLB comes in and my, my acreage has reduced. My yields have reduced. And now you're telling me that I have to be more precise in my nutrition plan. That sounds expensive to me. Can I make money? Mm-hmm on citrus in Florida? You know, the past year, year and a half, it's, it's not only been HLB that's been devastating for us in Florida, but it's been our, our, uh, economics and our pound solid pricing, uh, took a pretty big hit and we, you know, can uh, dive in maybe a separate time on the reasons to why, but, uh, I see some, some pricing coming back to be a little bit stronger, uh, at least today. And, and hopefully we can see that continue through the rest of the year. But at the end of the day, something that, that we discuss a lot is no matter what the pound solid price is, and, and I understand that we could be very much below our break even point, but we do ultimately want to produce as many boxes per acre with as many pound solids per box as possible, because that's how we can maybe close the gap on, on a deficit year or make a lot more money on a good year, you know, even if we were to say be at $3 per pound solid, um, you know, it'd be better to, you know, produce more boxes per acre and have more pound solids per box. So, you know, we kind of focus on, on that aspect of, you know, each, you know, if using a good quality nutrition program, if we can increase those two things, 
we're still going to win no matter what uh, at the end of the day when it comes to not losing as much money or making a bunch of it, one or the other, for the grower. Kelsey, this uh, uh, I think Richard mentions complete citrus. Which is the Yara program um, that we have that you guys I shouldn't say we that you guys have developed with a lot of research and a lot of uh, smart people working on it. Um, if you're doing using this complete citrus program that is is really taking um, the four R's um, and 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 dialing in and being more precise, is that more expensive than the traditional nutrition program? Am I going to be spending two x to 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 do a more precise program with better inputs? No, Scott. I think for for the the economic research that we've done and, and trying to use operational averages and and using you know Florida specific cost averages to to compare how we fit in in the market. Um, the complete citrus program was basically designed, like you said, with a bunch of different heads on it, a bunch of different people's perspectives and a lot of research all kind of culminated into one focus of how can we present a nutritional program that is, you know, agronomically superior than a typical grower standard, but is also economically viable. And we have found that using the inputs in our um, 9114 blend, for example, and we can dive into those ingredients here directly, but Using that analysis with the inputs that we've selected that would not stress the tree, we found that, you know, economically it's, it's very much comparable or even less in some cases, but every mm-hmm. growers, you know, different in that sense. Some growers are heavily relied, reliable or, um, heavily rely on foliar nutrition. Foliar nutrition can get expensive. Um, some growers are not set up for fertigation. They rely on, you know, three to five dry applications a year. Some are all fertigation and do 40 injections and have a bunch of really expensive infrastructure that they rely on to, you know, get specific inputs. So it's all a ball of clay and using the complete citrus program and, and trying to make sure that it, it's in the conversation economically was a big piece of our goal because Using inputs shouldn't be at the cost of the grower to keep growing for years to come. Using good inputs should be an affordable way that these guys can can approach a problem and really reduce some of the stresses that they have in their groves. And it sounds like that the complete citrus is not a a static recipe. It's a, a dynamic recipe that uh, varies depending on the infrastructure and the field-specific um, situation, correct? Yeah, absolutely. The, com- the Complete Citrus Program is, um, at the moment, compiles, compiled of a 9114 with micronutrients dry blend as well as a 507 fertigation blend. So it'll help those hybrid growers that, that can utilize, you know, that type of infrastructure to apply nutrients through micro jets, as well as have dry applications that can get some serious pounds of nutrition on the ground at key times of the year. 
We'll mention this again, and it'll also be in the show notes, but if you're interested in the complete citrus uh, solution, you can go to yara.us and just type in citrus. It'll take you there, or you can just Google Yara Citrus, and it'll take you to the website where you can learn more and actually get in touch with these two smart guys I'm talking to today. Really quick, let's talk about the, the growth stages of citrus, the main growth stages, and and what nutritional products are key in each of those. So, you know, let's start off in the springtime when these, these things are flowering. What's in, what is important or key in the nutrition application in the, in the spring when you're uh, before flowering and during flowering? Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're heading towards that now. Like you said, um, the trees typically dependent on weather will be coming out of dormancy. Um, we haven't had a cold enough, you know, a couple months and years here in Florida to where the trees have been able to kind of, uh, go into a dormant mode and, and save that energy for a big explosive vegetative flush. But, you know, leading into the spring, nitrogen, potassium, and calcium are going to be the, the three heavy hitters for, for what these trees need to not only grow vegetatively, but start to really solidify the root development as well that will keep pulling up nutrients and water to feed all of the processes, the blooming, the fruit set, you know, really shedding some of the the stresses that it would have dealt with over the winter, which is, you know, more dry and, and with cold weather. So those three nutrients are key and, you know, overall tree health, but this is a, a big time for those three. What 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 is the next uh major growth stage? Uh, that we need to concern ourselves with. So yeah, depending on, you know, what variety of citrus it is, um, you know, Valencia oranges, for example, the fruit are starting to really start, you know, maturing over the next few months, about March, April, they'll be entering that last stage of fruit maturation. Um, and you know, like I mentioned, the nitrogen, potassium and calcium year round are essential, but this is where, the potassium really comes into play, helping create the uniformity and, and fill of these fruits and creating the better content inside the fruit. That's that what growers are getting paid for the pound mm-hmm. solids and the quality of bricks. Um, it's what makes, you know, Florida citrus so special is the, the taste. We have some of the best tasting fruit in the world, just based on our climate and, you know, environmental factors. Mm-hmm. So, giving the tree the fuel it needs then you know march april is going to lead to the harvest come may and june you know getting like richard said you know a higher box count with more pound solids per box that's that's the end goal and that's what the trees are are looking for to fuel it what what are some of the biggest things that are overlooked in a crop nutrition program for citrus i would say consistency and you know i'm sure richard also has an opinion on this but consistency is such a big thing, um, in a perennial crop because, you know, what you do now in, you know, January, February, it could really impact what's happening in the fall this year or the fruit from for next year. Because as the fruit set on some of these trees, you know, come February, March, they won't be touched again for a year. So anything you do needs to be consistent. Um, that way, you know what has worked and what hasn't worked. And in the age of greening, a firm amount of people have, you know, really been working on nutrition programs. But if you stay on a singular nutrition program for 
12 months or less and then switch things up, how do you, how do you learn from that? What, what is the results of some of the information you used that? So that would be, I think one of the biggest mistakes, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, having a good nutrition program that you stay on for multiple years is something that's going to really hone in what you need to adjust. It doesn't need to be as reactive as, you know, a singular crop season. I was just getting ready to say that Kelsey, you know, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, when we were talking about that earlier, you know, I think consistency was coming to my mind too. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, when you, when you build a good crop program for citrus and you understand, you know, the physiology of the plant, uh, you know, MPK, you know, calcium, you know, with sulfur and magnesium, maybe being close, uh, seconds on those first four, uh, are where I really, really start with and not fluctuate too much from. So I would find my, a good nitrogen rate, good phosphate, good potassium rate, good calcium rate. And from that point, you know, I think with greening, uh, and all coming from good sources too. Uh, and from that point with greening and, and the, uh, influx it has on our nutrient uh, movement availability within the trees where I would really start playing with the key micronutrients uh, from a foliar standpoint or, you know, additives within my liquid program or a product like ProCoat mm-hmm. on the 9114 to really start placing those key micronutrients uh, at the right place. So whether it's, you know, from a foliar absorption standpoint or from a root uptake standpoint, uh, those are things that I would start playing with after I know that my macros are are dialed in. I think that's a, that's a really important piece, Richard. Thank you for, for bringing that up. You know, the, the whole idea of consistency, um, you know, we were just talking before we hit the record button. Uh, you know, this is the, the first of the year and people are making their physical New Year's resolutions, uh, you know, to lose weight or to uh, exercise more or something like that. And, and we all know there's statistics out there that these New Year's resolutions last about a month before people abandon them. Um, if we if we draw that analogy to these nutrition programs for citrus, this needs to be a a long term commitment. Bingo. You start out with the, with the best knowledge that you have, and I think that that uh, um, you guys have done a really good job of of with the research and and getting the smart minds together to come up with a a baseline program, adapt that to the needs of the specific field and the variety that that you're growing, and then stay consistent. It's better to get out there every day and and run or or get on your your Peloton bike there, Richard, and and do it every day than to do it on Saturday for four hours once a week. It, right. The consistency and staying on top of it, I think, is important. Um, Kelsey, if, if someone's listening to this podcast and they're going, you know what, I, I really need to maybe look at my nutrition program and make some changes to it um, so that I can maximize my profits and uh, quality and reduce the stress that I'm having on my trees, where can they go to learn more? For the most part, I think that we have a, a very good library of citrus information. Um, the last two years, we've done a, a heck of a job, I think, compiling and trying to make it as easy as possible to find on our on our website just different nutritional um, factors that relate to better producing fruit, whether it's size or juice content or vegetative growth. We have, you know, 
quite a bit of historical information and things that we're working on now. Um, that and, you know, having a good trusted sales rep, mm-hmm. um, in, in Florida, there's a bunch of people that are able to kind of give those, you know, more specific, um, outlooks, field visits, checking things out, putting your hands on it and, and really building that relationship with somebody who can, you know, facilitate some of the questions that you have. I think we're really fortunate to work with uh, some very smart and dedicated uh, retail agronomists um, within our our retail um, partnerships. And and those guys know about the Complete Citrus program and can can help you understand it better. Again, the website, if you just Google Yara Citrus, you can pop up or just go to uh, yara.us and type in citrus there. Uh, You can find out more. Um, hey guys, thanks so much. Uh, we've learned a lot about citrus. We're sitting at the in at the very beginning of January. Can you give us an idea of what the crop looks like um, this late in the or early in the season in Florida? Yeah, so some of the early varieties are are currently you know being pulled off the tree right now, and then some of the varieties are starting to swell up and you know, firm up, like I said, going into fruit maturation. So there's a little bit of everything here in Florida. Um, it just depends on where you're driving. Well, guys, thank, thank you very much. How can, uh, how can they find out more about the complete citrus, uh, program, Richard? Um, same thing you, you both have said, I would say, you know, on the, on the website, of course, we have some of the info on the program, but if you'd like to reach out to whoever your key retailer distributor rep is, um, Kelsey and uh, Taylor Sewell, uh, a fellow sales rep of, of uh, Kelsey's, have done a great job sitting down individually or in small groups with some of these DSRs and explaining them the Complete Citrus program, which I almost start to lean towards, uh, you know, adaptive good sourcing uh, guideline is almost what it's starting to become instead of a, a in-stone program. But uh, if you know if you're a grower out there listening to this, um, you can go to the website. Kelsey's number's on there, emails on there, Taylor Sewell's uh, number and email are on there, and of course, um, you know whoever your key rep is with uh, one of our uh, retail partners in the market, uh, I'm sure they'd be glad to share some more of that information with you. See, that's where I was trying to get Richard. I was trying to get you to commit Kelsey's time to go sit down with all these growers. That's what I want him to do. He's he needs to stay busy, man. We need to keep him busy. Hey, one real quick thing too. Um, Taylor has done a really good job with a video series. Um, do one of you want to talk about that so that if, if you're, if you're listening to this and are not aware, um, where they can, they can learn more from her. Absolutely. Um, Friday field talks is, uh, is what I believe we, we, uh, we refer to them as, but, uh, you know, Taylor's done a great job of including some of the, the other reps within our company and, and some we've even went outside and, and grabbed some professors to kind of meet us in the field and just do a quick three to four or five minutes on a YouTube channel, uh, Friday field talks. Uh, and we, you know, basically just taught plant physiology at times or maybe something that's going on in the crop and season. Uh, and FYI, it doesn't just stop at citrus. You know, we're very diverse in the Southeast. So there's some mm-hmm. cotton stuff on there, uh, some veggies and different things of that nature. And, uh, I think the team does a great job, uh, led by Taylor on that, uh, on that web series there for YouTube of, uh, sharing some great knowledge in a very short and condensed way. 
I'll make sure I have a link in the show notes uh, to that uh, YouTube channel. I know that that I watched them, and I think that Taylor taught me how to pick out a watermelon. Oh, yeah. We hope that uh, if you made it this far, uh, you learned something about citrus and and how you can be better with your nutrition program and, uh, more importantly, be profitable. That's the key that we're trying to do, profitable and sustainable. So uh, we hope you have a great week and uh, join us next week. And, uh, Scott, what are you going to drink for breakfast tomorrow? <laughs> uh, orange juice? If you don't drink orange juice, buy it anyway. Do it for us. (laughs) All right, there you go. There you go. I'll do my part, guys. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. You've been listening to the Yara Crop Nutrition Podcast. For more information about our company, please visit us at www.yara.com or yara.us or for Canada, yaracanada.ca. 